Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. My first guest joins me on the line to talk about her exhibition, Do You Still Love Me? Asked the Earth, which is showing at Silverleaf Art Box in Merricks, down on the Mornington Peninsula, where she works and lives. I'm joined on the line by artist Rosie Weiss. Rosie, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you. Your work for many years, you've explored, I guess, the relationship between people and the environment, the landscape that you live in and observe and the way that humans interact with it. This latest exhibition, I understand, incorporates elements of uh, plant material that had been severely burnt by the bushfires in late 2019, early 2020. Why is this kind of theme, why is the the environment that we live in, that you observe, such a, a key part of your creative practice? I think, I think it probably always has been and probably goes back to um, a childhood of um, being taken into the bush by my, by my family. My father would uh, show me all the... Or show all of us the interrelationship between plants, and that and that stayed with me. He would he would collect bits and pieces and bring them home, put them on the mantelpiece, and they'd slowly, you know, disintegrate or 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 change back into their essential structures. And I think I, I didn't realise how how that um, impressed me as a child, but it it became something that I started to naturally do myself. And in my twenties, I realised it was becoming really an important part of my work and I would go to places like um, you know the aftermath of Ash Wednesday and, and collect some plant fragments or basically anywhere I walked I would start to pick things up from tracks or you know um, logging tracks or a path in the city and I liked things that had some kind of interaction with humans or that humans had had some effect on I found that really interesting and so so that work, in fact, one of the pieces from Wednesday is in is in this show. So that I've I've managed to hold on to them all, um, which has been rather fun. And um, in 2019, Danny Lacey at the MPRG encouraged me to show them, so I was able to show. 400 of the actual fragments on a wall. So that that was that was very interesting. In terms then of taking work from the Ash Wednesday fires and then comparing that to the the burnt remains of plant life from the more recent Australian bushfires. What's the comparison like? We've been told the, the the most recent fires were so much fiercer. Does that mean that the there is a, a comparable difference between uh, the the plant material that you've recovered from those different fires? Uh, that's a very interesting question, and and yes, it it was quite a different experience, and just everything I was picking up disintegrated in my hands and. I was very lucky to come back with the pieces that I came back with. Um, whereas the piece I have from Ash Wednesday, which is a Xantheria, um, I've had since, you know, 1983 or whenever that fire was, and it stayed together. Whereas these, these, these fragments I have inside tissue paper, they're very, very delicate. And, in fact, most of what I brought back has turned into charcoal. Um, I mean, when driving through that area was afterwards was an extraordinary experience. It's really very moving, and I think 
I wanted to somehow be able to express that or share that um, experience. I mean, the tops of the hills were completely burnt out like bald heads because the heat of the fire had had risen up the hills. So it, it's it's hard for a landscape to come back from that. And, of course, it is coming back, but in, in, in different places, not so well. So. In your role, then, as an artist, do you feel that in some ways you're... Uh, memorialising the fires, that, or, or are you more focused on the the impact that the human world has had on the environment through your art? I I think I'm trying to ask questions with the work, really. I, I think I'm I, I think I'm trying to ask the question: Is this really what we want to happen? Do we really want to let this keep going in this direction? You know. Um, I think I think I'm trying to give a voice to the plants themselves, to the fragments that I use. And in the Do You Still Love Me, uh, Ask the Earth show at Silverleaf, it's not all negative. I mean, there's some, um, the most recent work, um, Breast Fracture, which is a series of 24 images. There's, there's, a, there's a lightness of touch in there as well. Um, my father died during the second COVID lockdown and... And that kind of galvanised me in a way and um, I started to look at some of his fragments that he'd left me and one was a little seahorse. Um, so all sorts of things have, have crept into the work. So, yes, I like to think there's a possibility of regeneration and it's not we, it, we're not lost at this point, but we need to think about it very, very seriously. Now, given the, the fact that some of the wood you recovered last year you said was literally turning to charcoal in your hands are you incorporating that charcoal directly and physically into the artworks you're making i know that earlier in your practice you were more interested in uh in printmaking and lithography for example and now more currently focused on drawing do those drawings physically uh encompass and use the the materials or are you using more traditional paints pencils and other uh material to then represent the art, the the objects that you've collected. Um, great question, actually, and and uh, at this point, I'm still being very traditional with the with the medium. I found that I really love drawing charcoal, and I have been using you know pigments and and pencils and and ink and you know all of those watercolor, all of those traditional mediums. But I have these wonderful piles of charcoal which and sticks which fall across the wall of the studio and leave a mark as they fall. And, you know, and yes, the temptation is certainly there and uh, not sure where it's going yet, but it's, uh, yeah, that's very interesting. And, of course, all of those early prints, um, or a lot of them are, are in the, the other show that uh, that's on at the same time at, at, at uh, NPRG, the Collected Works show. So, so that early work can be seen at the same time. It's a nice, it must be kind of, I guess, quite gratifying for you to have these two exhibitions on simultaneously. Uh, uh, Do You Still Love Me? Ask the Earth at Silver Leaf Art Box, which is uh, on the Frankston Flinders Road in Merricks. And then, as you've said, the, the Collected Works, which is a a, a retrospective look at your career at the Mornington Peninsula Regional Art Gallery. The fact that they're both on simultaneously. Has it made you more contemplative, more reflective, given that you're simultaneously concerned, I guess, with the current body of work, but then also looking back at this collected body of work as well? Look, I feel, I feel very um, blessed that I'm able to have them on at the same time. 
It, it is. It makes you feel a bit old, but <laughs> it is. It is very nice to to be able to to look back. And um, I've made a, a couple of um, light boxes for Silverleaf. Um, well, they they have light boxes there, and I was able to use the objects that are in the drawings in the light boxes. Um, and I went to do. Oh, I'm going to do the same thing in Mornington next week, but I realised that. Quite a lot of the early work was purely from my imagination, and that, and that's interesting to see the the change. You know, there are no objects for the first few years. There, there, um, it alludes to landscape, and but it, but there's no actual object itself. So they they come in a tiny bit later. So so that's been fun to see that as well. I didn't realise. So do you know? Yeah. Do you know why it, that shift it's occurred? It's a very interesting time. Do you know why that shift occurred? Um, Are you conscious of a, a, a point where you went from imagining a landscape to embodying a landscape? I think it might have something to do with the age, you know, the age that you are as an artist. Um, you know, um, early on, I was um, I was in a real hurry too, um, a lot of the time, and I was. There's a great energy, a youthful energy in some of the work. Then later, there's there's more of an analytical eye coming through. I mean, it comes through in the early work as well, and it's not totally true. I mean, there are objects in the early work, but there's just there's a more of a push and pull between the two things earlier on. Perhaps it's coming back now a bit as well. I don't know. I think you go through just different phases too. But it is interesting to watch because I would never have known as a young artist that this would have happened, that I would have become so engrossed in looking at the natural world and looking at our relationship with the natural world on this kind of minutiae sort of scale, you know. I, I wouldn't have known that. My guest is Rosie Wiss, yeah. uh, a visual artist who's based down in the Mornington Peninsula and currently has two exhibitions on. The, the one we've focused on predominantly is Do You Still Love Me? Asked the Earth on at Silver Leaf Art Box, located at... 3,361 Frankston, Frankston Flinders Road in Merricks on the Mornington Peninsula on now until the 13th of June. And you can find out more info at www.silverleaf-artbox.com.au. Um, it officially opens this Friday night uh, and is then running through until the 13th. And also, as we've mentioned, there's also an exhibition on at the Mornington Peninsula Regional Art Gallery, uh, which opens from the 29th of May and runs through until the 22nd of August. Rosie, before I let you go, you mentioned that the the work uh, installed at Silverleaf Art Box, as well as the uh, the works, the body of work, Do You Still Love Me? Ask the Earth, that series of smaller works from last year that you created in, in response to the, the death of your father and my commiserations to you for that. But I wondered, given that he was such an influence on you. It feels like in many ways that this work is a celebration of his life, perhaps, an acknowledgement of his influence upon your artistic practice uh, as much as a, a mourning or a oh, grieving. Thank you for that. That's a, lovely, that's a lovely thought, and I hadn't really thought about it like that. Yes, I think in, in a lot of ways it probably is. Yeah, I really miss him, and although he had Alzheimer's and in some ways he was gone for Time. He um, he he also was still there. The essential person was still there, and he was very calm and still responding to music and humming along with me and everything. So, yeah, of course I miss him, and and yeah, it is perhaps a homage to him in on many levels. It was really lovely to include his seahorse in the in the in the work, and I, I 
very rarely in my life ever drawn animals. I've always, or, you know, creatures of any sort, I've always worked with plants. So that that's probably a, self, a portrait of him. Nice thought. Thank you. <laughs> Do You Still Love Me? Asked the Earth by artist Rosie Weiss is on Silverleaf Art Box uh, in Merricks on the Mornington Peninsula from the 22nd of May to the 13th of June, opening this Friday, the 21st of May, from 6 to 8pm with live music by Jack Cross. More info at www.silverleaf-artbox.com.au and over at the Mornington Peninsula Regional Gallery, uh, Rosie Weiss Collected Works is showing from the 29th of May until the 22nd of August. More info at uh, mornpen.vic.gov.au uh, Sorry, mprg.mornpen.vic.gov.au Rosie Weiss, thank you so much for joining me on the program today. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. I'm joined by Yumi Yumamare, who is uh, the artistic director of Buto Out. And Yumi, this is an unusual festival in that most festivals run for one or two, maybe three weeks, four at the most. This festival's been running for a couple of months. I mean, obviously, this is not the conventional style of festival, but we call this is like artist-led community-driven uh, festival. And um, because of the workshop, five workshop, public workshop, we'd run as well as forum and two performances this year. So we're just spreading a slow mode of this spreading over from February to May. Yes. It's a, I guess it's appropriate that an art form like Buto should be celebrated in a non-traditional festival context because uh, for some people Buto is still perhaps a, a relatively new evolution in the dance world mm-hmm. uh, and it's certainly some people will find it confronting given the, the kind of some of the grotesque and confronting elements of it but talk to us mm-hmm. um, about your love of Buto. when did you first kind of <laughs> discover the art form and what is it about Buto as a form of dance that has so preoccupied you and excited you for so many years <laughs> yes it's interesting because um uh, one of the uh, eldest Buto dancer was um, dancing until 100. He started when he was 40. So it's obviously the longevity art form, even this um, compared to other traditional Japanese art forms, mostly like a 400, 500 he- years history. Buto is only probably like after the war or before 50s around, so like a 70s years history, and that was regarded as a relatively contemporary. And uh, But uh, some people think it's a quite long-term um, art form, but it's actually really contemporary of a, in a scale of Japanese art form. And um, obviously, I was attracted initially when I was early 20s, and I have only done classical ballet or some sort of a little bit of more uh, creative dance at, at, at the schools. And when I first encountered Buto or see the Buto in television or something on the performance stage, I was totally blown. It was totally blown my mind away because I only had a, um, trained by the classical ballet when I was nine and about seven years. I did classical ballet, and I was very proper form to remember everything, no improvisation, everything is really not showing your face expression or anything. But when Buto and I come to their workshop, they twist their face and saliva is coming off and their eyes rolling and all that sort of looks like a totally crazy. <laughs> so I was really initially um, scared, but um, just totally attracted. And then since then, journey started and never ending. As I said, it's longevity. Everybody's performing is a really long years and some Buto dancers even now in the 60s and 70s, 80s uh, their years. Um, so 
I found it very important to us to continue, and I'm still doing it. <laughs> it strikes me that perhaps one of the reasons why uh, Bhutto dancers can have such longevity is because of that lack of formality that you've mentioned. The, the fact that as our bodies age, when we get older, we aren't we are no longer capable of some of the fine and specific movement that is required from ballet, for example, which is a very taxing art form. Mm. But there is something about perhaps the freedom of Bhutto, the emotional expression of it as an art form that allows to adapt to the body as the the body ages and also presumably means that the more lived experience you have, the more emotion you are able to capture and embody and present in your performance, making it all the more thrilling. Yeah, it's true, because it's like a present presence of their body. It's like their history of their life. And uh, Bhutto actually encompasses a lot of their um, authenticity in a way. I mean, even we do train and we have a certain discipline to follow. And it sounds like a lot of improvisational look, but it's actually really um, based on a lot of the discipline and then how you can find your authentic being and presence. So if you have a 50-year-old body, they have their presence, and 80 years old, they have a, their own presence. And then, as you said, it is got an amazing life history and emotion can capture more in the more you get older. Yeah, Buto yes, out. very amazing. <laughs> yes, as sorry. you said, the festival uh, Buto Out has been running uh, for some months. You've been you had a, a performance earlier in the year at Dance House. You've been running mm-hmm. workshops as well. So for the performance that uh, previewed last night and is running for the rest of this week through until Sunday at the Abbotsford Convent. Um, how you've got what something like twenty dancers participating? Have they been through the yeah. workshop program? And is for some of them will this be their first public Buto performance? Yes, exactly. So it's like a twenty-three performers now, and um, it's like a, including all the artists and behind the scene. It's about all, over thirty people working, and then it's like a, as I said, the festival type in Japanese called Matsuri. Matsuri is like a just community, and then all the any whoever, beginners or elders or every young people, everything get together is a celebration. So in a way, um, yeah, we recruited from the Buto uh, workshops, but also people who have done last few years and they wanted to participate. So we sort of sort of recruiting, but there is no audition. So whomever say want to do it, committing, and we're going to include them. It's, uh, again, different degrees of experience of the performance. Some people never, ever done in their life of the performance itself and then some people have done few Buto performances so degree of ages and yeah genders even and also um, performance discipline is really really diverse and that's challenging but very exciting (laughs) now the performance uh, that's happening at the Abbotsford Convent the work is called Odd Hours and it's got a a connection with the 1950s film uh, Rashomon I believe (laughs) Yes, it is one of the inspiration because the, one of the um, very famous called Rashomon effect is like known for a plot device and involves the various characters providing a subjective, self-serving and contradictory version. 
and at the same in- incident. So it's the same exact same incident happened, but they totally their own subjective in- uh, interpretations. And uh, for me, it's like really relevant for, for us relatively now, living in a COVID time or post-pandemic or even some countries still totally pandemics. And I mean, we are in a world uncertain time. And we have our own self-version of interpretations. And then uh, what is normal is not normal anymore. And then every single um, idea of um, yeah, what's, what you see of subject, subjective view is very different individually, even in, even in the countries. And so this is very interesting, um, happened to be a very interesting film. And that Rashomon itself was also based on a post-epidemic time in Kurosawa took in that sort of period of film. So I thought of very indirectly, I thought this is a great film and several characters coming like a vulgar or noble samurai and a beautiful woman. So we took the characters and an indirect interpretation of the characters and self-serving story they're doing it. And um, that's not the literal story of these odd hours, but a very strong bone structure of the work. And then also, as you say, not only referencing the film, but referencing the Rashomon effect, which is uh, the way that different witnesses will interpret the same event in radically different ways. So from an audience perspective, mm-hmm. watching Odd Hours, presumably they're going to be seeing the 23 dancers all interpreting not only some of the themes of the work, but uh, embodying and interpreting some of the ideas of Bhutto, again, all in very different ways, but coming together to create uh, a collective work, even though it's a collective of fragments or perspectives. Totally. Yeah, exactly. So that's why the hours open and we are leave it open. Of course, it's a quite structured performance piece, but uh, we leave it an open interpretation for the audience as well as even performers for the performance. Yeah. A final question, uh, Yumi, before I let you go. For people who've not seen Buto before, they may have perhaps seen mm-hmm. images of it, uh, a face painted white, a contorted mouth, um, it's such a, a visceral and emotional art form. As I said earlier, the, the word grotesque has been used to describe it. It was shocking when it uh, kind of premiered uh, originally in Japan and I believe even was forced underground because of the, the public response to it. 50, 60, 70 mm-hmm. years later, does Buto still have the power to shock? That's a very interesting question because I'm also seeking about it because the power of they had in them and kind of very initial performance was cut the chicken's head off and throw throw to the stage and running around naked performers and scream and at that time, contemporary dance scene in Japan, they banned Buto. <laughs> and uh, that sort of uh, incredibly shocked. And obviously, Hijikata, Tatsumi Hijikata, who started Buto, he has a, not just the sake of shock factor, but he was really um, interesting uh, artist who just really provoked this uh, no- notion of uh, normality or what is, what is it and, and what is darkness and stuff. But I think, I suppose, um, my question also, how can we do shock people now? Is there so many shocking factors in a way, our la- daily living, even watching the news? And uh, our, some certain complex way of living now is more shocking than trying to be captured in a theater. So uh, I'm still questioning and, and try not to be sake of make people shock, but uh, how we can capture the darkness within the light.
Yumi Yumamare, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, if people want to see Odd Hours, uh, it's happening at the Abbotsford Convent Industrial School, the convent located at 1 St Hellier's Street, Abbotsford, uh, running through until this Sunday. And for more details, you can go to www.butoout.com. Performances are 7.30 tonight and Friday night. 8pm on Saturday and 5pm on Sunday to catch the uh, latest work as part of the Buto Out Festival, Odd Hours. Yumi Yumamare, thank you so much for joining us here at Triple R. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. Back-to-back theatre company, uh, based in Geelong, and they are one of the great theatre companies in Australia. Uh, and not it's not just me who thinks that. They are world-acclaimed. For Rising, uh, back-to-back have used the opportunity uh, presented by COVID. Normally, they would be touring regularly around the world. They can't tour, so... For Rising this year, back-to-back are presenting not one, but three works, uh, a retrospective uh, presenting Food Court, Small Metal Objects, and Ganesh versus the Third Reich. Joining us to tell us more, we have Ensemble member Sarah Mainwaring and executive producer of Back-to-Back, Tim Stitz. Sarah and Tim, thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for coming in, Sarah. Tim, uh, you're a relatively recent kind of addition to Back to Back. Yes, I have to say I feel very privileged to be in the position as executive producer at Back to Back. I think I'm in month eight or nine now. I'm I'm off my L plates and on my P's, but um, I feel very... Yeah, so lucky to, to be working with a company because, it, like you, before I started with the company, I thought the work in the company was just extraordinary. And, yeah, I, it sounds like hyperbole at times, but I do. F- it, the company is one of the best companies, theatre companies or performance companies in the world, um, to my taste. So others can beg to differ, of course, but, yeah, and I feel especially lucky to be working with the ensemble because that's... The company is built around an ensemble of artists um, who are perceived to have intellectual disabilities or neurodiversity. And um, we currently have five members. We're about to announce our fifth member, uh, who's not quite public at the moment. I can't give you a scoop. There's four in the ensemble at the moment, um, but it's great, including Sarah, who's here with us. And Sarah, you've performed some of these works before? Yes, yeah. Uh, what's it like revisiting uh, works that you know and presenting them and again? It's exciting to go back to work that we know and to be able to do them again. And particularly Sarah Mm. is in Food Court, which hasn't, it premiered in 2008. And so it's, and it it hasn't been performed since I think 2011 or 12. So there's quite a big period of time with that work in particular. I I think, I mean, as an artist, I always love revisiting work. I think there's something to be said for revisiting work after such a significant period of time. Um, We've done the other two works, Small Metal Objects, quite recently, and Ganesh versus the Third Reich 
um, sort of within the last 18 months to two years. But there's something about Food Court. There's some recasting in it. Um, Sarah, as well as Scott mm-hmm. Price and Mark Deans are both origin- – uh, they've originated their three roles, but there are two new cast members. So it's pretty exciting to feel that new energy and to revisit it afresh. Like over 10 years, and, we're different. Yeah, and it's exciting to be able to step into that work after that long period of time and for for us original cast members to feel confident that it hadn't or hasn't changed, but to realise that these new cast members are coming into the work and to make room for them to come into the work and be welcomed into the into the piece and yeah it's the fact exciting. it is exciting and it's exciting for me too because I've never seen I've, I've seen uh, small metal objects before I don't think I've seen food court and I know I've never seen Ganesh versus the Third Reich every time Ganesh versus the Third Reich has been staged I've been interstate or tied up with something and I've never been able to see it so not only is this a great opportunity for the company to revisit work uh, and to bring new people into the work alongside some of the, the, the founding or originating members. But it's a great opportunity for audiences to see uh, works that are so significant uh, and have generated so much kind of discourse and conversation around uh, around back-to-back and the way back-to-back make work as well. Tim, mm. am I right in thinking that there has been some, I guess, some... Some challenges around Ganesh, Ganesh versus the Third Right, with some critics dismissing the idea that the ensemble members could create it. Yeah, and I think um, there was certainly a controversy that orig- around the originating season, which is actually a response to some Hindu nationalist um, protest that originated in the US and then came to Australia. Back to Back was involved with meeting with the Hindu community in Melbourne and also through through the Victorian Multicultural Commission, having a really active dialogue about concerns and making changes where needed. But um, I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think, I don't know if it was Ganesh. I know I've, I've heard this story relayed to me a couple of times where Scott Price, um, it was, I think, even after a performance of Food Court or Ganesh in Europe, where an audience member stood up in a Q&A afterwards and said, I do not believe the performers uh, or the devices of this work created the work. And I think Scott, I'm paraphrasing him, I'd love him to be here to respond in person. He's not, he's in the rehearsal room. Were you in that, did you hear what he said, Sarah? My recollection is he said, get out. Um, because, yeah. It, I can't remember exactly, mm. but um, 
it was to the effect of yes, yeah, um, yeah. I think it's get a, out <laughs> that it's a, effect. It may have yeah. been slightly ruder, perhaps, or M- maybe. Um, maybe. And what yeah. has been lost in translation yeah. over time, or is law of the company? Mm. But I think it is fair to say that's something that has mm. come across. The company has come across at times, mm. and that we're really happy to and sort of welcome the dialogue around. Yeah. I mean, we make work over a really long period of time, and back to back is is. That's always been the methodology that the work's created over often mm. a three-year cycle to make new work, and that we hope the on that the the work then stays in repertoire for up to ten years or more. I mean, Small Metal Objects mm. premiered in two thousand and five, and it was the first show of Back to Backs I saw, for instance, mm. um, and it's still touring and still feels. We just did it at the Adelaide Festival. Yeah. It still feels mm. very timeless mm. and very current. Um, the interesting thing for Food Court and Ganesh, I suppose, will be since those works have come to Melbourne and been within our sort of more local Victorian community, what the responses to the work will Mm. be. And like Sarah said, what is it to make those or be performing those works again and feeling um, the familiarity but then letting them land? Almost so much has happened in 10 years. You just think about the the situation we're in, not just post-COVID, but just culturally so much is happening. We're in this incredible time of reckoning and transformation, which... I think we welcome. And, um, yeah, I think that's been a question that we've thought about as well. Like, what will it be like for audiences to come back into these works? Would would we make these works the same way if we were making them today? Uh, Those are almost unanswerable questions. I don't think we have really cogent responses apart from that question and that that discussion and pulling it apart is what's really interesting for us. Sarah, you said it's exciting to perform these works again. Mm. Is it scary as well because I'm for for me I know I'm not an actor but I no, get nervous every time I turn the microphone on yes, for example it is it is scary but it is exciting in the way that you you enjoy that that leap of um, exhilaration. Oh, I was thinking yeah. it is that what exhilaration. It yeah, is it's like being on a roller like coaster, perhaps. A kind of thrill of kind of you know, yeah. It is. Yeah. It's. You know, it's like yeah, nothing else, that feeling. It's know, so wonderful when it's all in flow. And I'm sure behind the radio mic, it, behind this, on the yeah, stage, behind the footlights, that is... Yeah, that kind of, you know, experience of, you know, being up there and, you know, the experience of showing your full potential and your whole experience of yourself and, you know, what you can do, you and these whole Mm. actors and... This whole body of work 
what it can do is whole. It's it's beautiful to experience that thrill is is lovely to to go through yeah for an audience member too it's wonderful to watch the the thing that i love about back to back's work mm. is there's it it cuts through in a way that makes me uh, i go to theater to feel alive and to to be reminded of what it feels like to be human mm. and back to back's work does that so Perfectly, it cuts mm. through um, artifice. There's so much truth to the company's work. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, and just, I mean, humanity feels like a kind of I don't know if it's the word that's used that much these days. But I, for me, you have this incredible. It all all back to back works feel like it's posited there in the work. But you you go between this very epic, amazing uh, sense of design of of ideas to also very intimate and quite everyday. And that's something that I especially have always, it's always resonated deeply for me as an audience member and now within the company continues. Um, I think what I was going to say before about the, that, that length of time that we take to create work is that it really allows the ensemble and our artistic director, Bruce Gladwin, who co-devise and co-author our works together, the time to you know find things, find what's not working, what is working, to draw out the idiosyncrasies of all the individuals in the company and the guest artists or collaborators we're working with. And, you know, it's, that's what I, th- I feel you see um, is try that distillation. And at times, for me, it's most transformational when it's simple, the simplicity of that, of the fact that, you know, we are all these humans in this world trying to make our, our way through it and find beauty and also be confronted by truths. And I think... That's something that I've certainly felt confronted in probably a good way and at times very challenging. I'd say um, my recollection of food court, seeing it down at the Geelong Arts Centre many years ago, was it really punched me in the guts. But I came out bewildered and just to- just processing the beauty of it, the, um, yeah, the humanity of it. Back-to-back theatre are presenting three works in a retrospective as part of Rising, Melbourne's new festival. Food Court, uh, with the next playing uh, live from the 26th of May to the 29th of May at Arts Centre Melbourne. Small Metal Objects, from the 29th of May to the 1st of June at Queensbridge Square. And Ganesh versus the Third Reich, from the 4th to the 6th of June, again at Art Centre Melbourne. For more information about the works and the company, go to www.backtobacktheatre.com and you can book by going to rising.melbourne. And Rising, the festival, runs from the 26th of May until the 6th of June, and I am absolutely delighted that back-to-back have got this opportunity to present these works retrospectively so we can all celebrate the remarkable achievements of a truly world-class and wonderful company. Tim and Sarah, thank you both so much for joining me here at Triple R. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. 